Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 181 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with a growing collection of more than 80,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantillibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today in the lecture hall on the 12th story of the Mercantile Building are Alyssa Brandt, contributing editor at Cincinnati Magazine, I'm Joanne Drilling, dining editor at Cincinnati Magazine, and Zell Schulman. Zell is 89 years young and a member of the International Association of Culinary Professionals. Her culinary education has included lessons at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, as well as classes with Simone Beck, co-author with Julia Child and Louisette Bertolt of Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Zell is the author of four cookbooks, including Passover Seder's Made Simple and Planning Perfect Parties. She's also been the guest on local TV food segments from New York to Cincinnati to Los Angeles. Last year, Zell filed her final column for the American Israelite, the oldest Jewish weekly in America, where she was a food writer for over 20 years. Today, we're going to discuss Zell's book, Passover Seder's Made Simple. Hi, Zell. Thanks so much for joining Hi, us today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. It's great to see you. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about Passover. I've heard it's the most celebrated holiday by Jews in the United States. Yes, it is. And it's uh, not only the most celebrated, but it's one of the, the uh, holidays that we have to, that gives us the most uh, work to do, actually. Uh, over the years, things as everything else has evolved in uh, celebrating holidays. Passover, too, has come along a long way because I can remember my mother the whole week before Passover, bringing up boxes, taking down boxes, <laughs> opening boxes, because you can't, uh, the whole week and the whole home, in a traditional home, not necessarily reformed or uh, home, but in a traditionally Jewish home, anything that has any kind of leavening in it, in your kitchen, in, in your home, has to be taken out of the house. And so we used to pack everything up, and my mother would take it down for uh, to a food pantry or things like that so other people could use So that them. would be anything like breads you had in no, the house? No, no, no breads, no flour. All no, of that had to be removed. All that had to be removed, and whatever was in it, whatever it was in, uh, also oh, had to be removed. Too. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, you, know, you didn't have anything <clears throat> in your kitchen that had anything or was near anything with leavening, mm -hmm. okay? So... Uh, it was, it was a very hard holiday. It was a fabulous holiday. But the preparation, as a young child, I remember, was very difficult. But today, it's so wonderful. And it's simple. That's why I named my book Passover Made Some Seder's Made Simple, because it, it is simple. You can, get, you can go to a kosher butcher. Uh, uh, Kroger's, by the way, has a kosher. The Hunt Road Kroger, right? Yeah, the Hunt Road mm -hmm. Kroger. Yes, yeah, the only one that has the kosher department in okay. it. Okay. And, uh, yes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just saying that the, the local Remke... Oh, that's uh, right. The High Park Remke is Park starting Remke to... has just greatly expanded well, they their just, kosher yes, they offerings just, very recently. Right. 
because they were, they had started. They were at first when I would go over there, they didn't have a lot of the things that I was looking for, but they have expanded and they're doing it slowly because you know it was, everything's new to them. Because the now the Remke Biggs that was on uh, Ridge Ridge Road, yeah, that was yes that that was the main place where mo most of the people who want who kept kosher would go and get their things that they needed for the holidays or for, you know, if they kept a kosher home, that's where they went. But now we have to, we go to the, to the Kroger because that has the, the, uh, the, most of the things we're looking for all year round. Let's come back to the book really quick. Right. What prompted you to write this Passover Seder's Made Simple? Well, I felt that, as I said before, there was so much evolving over the years as how you approach this holiday. Now, I thought, you know, it's gotten easier to do. Things are easier to find. And it should be easier to prepare for this holiday because it's a big holiday. It's a whole week. It's a whole week of cooking and doing special things. So and not I thought, everyone grows up Jewish. Not everyone <laughs> knows what to do, right? Right, that's correct. And so because of the percentage of intermarriage in, in today and a few other things, I felt that uh, communities really wanted, the people really wanted to learn how to do it in a manner that would be kind of fun. I know fun may not be the word, but in ch change and transition is never easy for any of us. True. But when you make it a major kind of a, a goal for yourself that you really want to do something different and make it different so that it's really fun, uh, that's what really got me going on this book. And you have I, a couple of your own children intermarried. I, yes, and so I that, do. Did that I, prompt more yes. calls and questions? From, right, because from them? and and then too, they a couple, several of my uh, two of my children uh, converted to Judaism. So the girls didn't always know what you know. I got many many phone calls from them. <laughs> so you were you were the expert. <laughs> well, I don't I wouldn't say expert. Let's just say that <clears throat> I was raised in a home which was very traditional, and my father was a fa came from Russia, and he was a very very good cook and knew what to do, and my mother had a cook. They fought all the time, but that was okay. <laughs> we had a little variety in our kitchen. But it was, it, food was always a very important <clears throat> part of my life growing up. It really was. And I think today, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog, the frog jumped in there. And today, uh, if I really don't know what to do with myself at 89 years of age, and I live in a senior place where I'm given, a, you know, food. I don't have to cook anymore if I don't want to. I go to the kitchen. That's my saving place. So, you know, and I'll be baking in the middle of the night or cooking in the middle of the night sometimes. And it's just, it's my, it's my You're happy place. hobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not really something I have to do, something I love to do. And that's a big difference. And so I put the book together to make it a simple thing so that anyone who wants to put put on a Seder. You know, many churches here in town give Seders, community Seders now. And those that want to put on a, a, a Seder can now do it with the book. It tells them every, there's everything in there that they need to know. It's very step-by-step. Very step-by-step. That's, step that's by what, step. as a, as a non-Jew, I appreciate that. Um, right. It's very educational right from the outset. Um, and I, I want to ask you if it's okay to, I want to get to like how you do the shopping and, and, and right. get to some of the points in the book. But before, I just wanted to ask you to go back to a second to your father because you dedicated the book to him. And I know we've talked in the past about what an influence he was on your cooking. And you, you have a great story about him coming over to your house 
as a young married person, and I wondered if you could just yes. Well, I, I was I'm, I'm an only child, first of all. So uh, you know, I w but I'm, I really wasn't spoiled. I have to tell you, you know, they say only, only children are spoiled, but I wasn't spoiled. I had to always make my bed and clean, do things. I always had things I had to do. But uh, when I got married, uh, and I lived, I, we had a small apartment, right? And I, and the, at first when I got married, people said, "Oh, come play cards or play canister." You know what, ladies? I, what ladies do? I worked. I worked up until that time. I had not had you know, been a free free. Mm -hmm. sold Lady and I have to worry about anything, right? <laughs> so I didn't know what to do with my time. So my friends, my sister-in-law says, oh, come play canasta or some kind of card game with us. Well, I did it for about three weeks. And I thought, this is a waste of time. This is not for me. So I had to stop that. And I went and took, and the cooking became what I did with my time. So one day I'm in the kitchen. Door opens. My father walks in. He looks in. He's doesn't say hello, doesn't say anything, goes into the kitchen, I'm in the middle of cooking. This, this needs salt, this needs this. I said, excuse me. I said, this is not your kitchen, it's my kitchen. <laughs> I said, and I'm a married woman now, and you know, I don't know whether I really need you to tell me what needs salt and what doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I think so many cooks cite their mothers as influence, and so it's always nice to hear uh, shout out to the dad. Exactly. Yeah, well, he, well, he was a wonderful cook. He really was. And, he, you know, from my time I was a small child, he would take me on the on uh, once a week to the market that in Covington, Kentucky. There was, a, you know, farmer market. And he would take me from the time I was a small child. And he would say, smell this, look at this, taste this, you know. And he really introduced me to all kinds of uh, food things when we went to market. And that was a wonderful way of introducing me to the world of the culinary world. So I mean, the culinary world has been a part of my life, I think, since I was a very small child. Um, so let's start with the shopping, I guess, if that's a good, is that yeah. a good place to start? We touched let's a talk party bit on, planning. Yeah, let's talk party planning. Party planning, <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, you know. What's the first thing we need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is decide if you're going to be giving the Seder, or if you're going to be Join, uh, sharing it with someone else in the family that's giving the Seder and making out your menu for the, for the Seder. Now, those who are very traditional will usually have two Seders. Uh, those who are not traditional, more reformed or conservative, may only have Seder on the first night. So uh, you have to decide what is it you're going to need for the Seder and for that week because it's a whole week celebration. Now, not everybody does that. The most traditional Jews will do that for a whole week, or conservative Jews will do that for a whole week. So therefore, you have to restock your kitchen. Before you can even think about what you're going to cook, you have to go and restock the kitchen. So you have to find uh, a store where you can go, and today we, we just said it, Kroger. Mm -hmm. The Hunt Road Kroger or yeah. the or Remke. Yeah, and they, and they, will, have the, they will have the Passover, uh, for, for kosher for Passover things, and the there's a separate, whole separate area where they will have all the Passover things that are uh, for, uh, that you can use to cook with for the week of Passover, and it you know usually has a K, a little round thing with a K. Okay, you talk right. about that in the book. You you have an a code a 
a key for the symbols that right. you can look for okay. on various yeah, products okay. and what they mean. Kosher. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Are there so any other? Sorry. Uh, are there any other? Um, we talked about Remke and Kroger. Are there any other shops that um, you tend to go to if you need uh, like a specialty item? One thing you mentioned, I know vanilla sugar, and that can be sometimes hard to find. I didn't know if there was like a secret source. I don't think. I think that. I had to make my own. Okay. I think I really did make my own. Vanilla sugar is not something you can find for Passover. I mean, now, of course, today, in today's world, you can find almost anything you need. Right, on the Internet. You could yeah, on the Internet, you can get things on the Internet. But if it's because you're for Passover, so I made my own. You know, I mixed uh, a sugar and, and, and a little, uh, and a vanilla bean. I did not use liquid vanilla. Right. I use a vanilla bean. Because that usually is made with grain alcohol, right. and so right. it would not be right. appropriate yes, for that's, Passover. That's okay. correct. So I would do, make it with a vanilla bean, and I would make a little container, and I'd have that ready for Passover. So stocking the pantry, so like our yes. restocking, where do, we, where do we start? Well, first of all, you have to have the matzah, and you can't have anything with leavening. Uh, my, in my book, it tells you what you need for the Seder, exactly what you need, and what you need for the Seder plate. Okay. And... Uh, it has all the all the uh, uh, and just to clarify um, right. for people who may not know the right. the matzah cracker is an unleavened it's unleavened unleavened it's a flat 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 matzah flat cracker they right. usually come in right. square packages and actually matzah started the first big matzah maker was uh, was Manischewitz here in Cincinnati Ohio. I know, that's fascinating. <laughs> we were talking about that yesterday. Yeah. Zell took us to meet with Dr. Gary Zola at the uh, the director of the American Jewish Archives. And he right. was telling us that story. And it was a very interesting story. Yeah, it was. Yes. Yes. He, uh, the Manischewitz company was the first to kind of mass produce the matzah crackers, which I guess before that right. had been made in homes by, by hand. hand. By hand, that's um, correct. So they, and I yes. thought the... Uh, what I found so interesting was that he had the marketing foresight to write to the, the rabbis in Jerusalem to say, could you please approve this, this machinery? Um, like, give it your stamp of approval. It, it, right. it reminded me of the little American Dental Association <laughs> seal on the tubes of Crest that, um, <laughs> that you know, P&G has also um, done a lot with, like, let's get a stamp of approval on that. That's correct. <laughs> it seemed to really a stamp of approval. And then he also told us that you know, the Manischewitz Company then proceeded to support those yes. rabbis in those communities yes. for a very, right. very yes, long time. So. For a long time. Yes. So and that when you, when you, that's okay. When you have the basic, the basic things that you need, okay, you have to have first of all the Haggadah, which is the book that tells the story of the Passover, and there are so many, 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 many. And I, I remember you starting to explain that the other day that there that there's not just one standardized. No, and it's the plural is Haggadot. Haggadot, right? That's right. Correct. What are the different What are the different kinds that might be out there that people would find? Well, you can find one that's put out by the Reform Union you know, for Reform uh, Seder. Uh, then uh, there are those that are for children. There are children's Haggadahs. Uh, there are uh, the women's Haggadah. In fact, we're going to be having a woman's Seder at the Wise Temple in a few weeks. They're going to have a, uh, a woman's Seder. They have one every year. And anyone can come, by the way. You don't have to belong to the, belong to the congregation or be Jewish or anything. If you'd like to come, just have to make sure you make a reservation for that. But it's an interesting thing with a group of women around the table doing the Seder. But you have to have the Haggadah. You have grape juice uh, for the children, of course, and red wine. Most people. But today you have so many wonderful kosher wines. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, it's like everything else evolves. And so 
You can even have a party like have a wine tasting, a Passover wine tasting as a party before Passover, you know? That sounds like fun. <laughs> And then decide what you're going to go to the store and pick up, right? Mm -hmm. I want to just, if it's okay, I just want to interject that we are looking in, in Zell's book on, um, on page 16. There is a diagram of the Seder table. And um, again, for those who may not know, a Seder kind of has two food components. There's the, tradi there's the traditional Seder plate with the symbolic foods. Right. But then there's the festive meal, That's which is correct. all of these wonderful recipes that, that you have that in, your, in your book. That so. is correct. And um, it, so sorry, and, carry on. No, it's, no it's, it's, it's important because it's two different whole things. Once you're making the Seder, uh, you're doing the menu for the for the uh, traditional seder for the uh, celebration itself, right. or and or welcoming in the seder. All right, and the other thing that you're doing is uh, you're you're uh, preparing for a whole week of food. Yes, where your kitchen has been turned. Lest anyone think you're just different. eating roasted egg and bitter herbs <laughs> no, at no. the meal, they all which so might be a bit of a so much more. The seder plate holds the symbolic foods. Zell, what's the significance of the foods on the seder plate? Okay, it's uh, uh, the, the lamb shank bone, or some people use a chicken wing. If you can't find a lamb shank bone, you could use a chicken wing. And uh, you broil it. That has to be broiled, and that's on, on the uh, reminiscent of the fact of the, uh, they took the lamb's blood to mark the door. So that's they'd right. be passed over. The passing over. And, and their children, the first child would not, born child would not be killed. That's that part of the part, Passover story. Uh, and then you... Uh, then we go to the uh, uh, egg, the roasted egg. Yes. Okay, and egg basically uh, actually stands for life. Okay? And uh, you have to roast the egg, and you put it in the, in the oven. I always did mine in the oven. And then my and grandma... you have a recipe in the book for right. how, to, oh, yes. how to do that. Uh, there's a recipe for the book. Yes. In my book, there is a recipe for each thing you have to have. It, and how you also to have notations, it. too, for if you're a vegan, you can substitute right. a beet or an avocado pit or a potato or something right. else you can stand in for right. the egg. So it covers. It really covers everybody. I, mm -hmm. I tried to do that so that everybody could enjoy this. So the Sephardic roasted egg is a little bit different because they're roasted overnight, and they get, they get really brown. But I want to tell a little side story about the roast today. About the roast today, I always was the one who had to eat the roast today. Take a bite out of the roast today. You egg. say had to. My like grandmother. You my grandmother. Yeah. Now Zelma, you must do that because it was supposed to bring you a young man into your life no. <laughs> of eligible age as I got older. You know. Well, I guess it worked. Uh, well, very happily married. For yeah, a long, 50, long time. Years, fifty years. Fifty years. True. So. But I was always, why me? I don't know. I guess I was just gullible. <laughs> it was okay, you know. And then, and then we have we have uh, on on the seder plate is the uh, something that's made called haroset, okay, haroset, and that's made of uh, chopped uh, nuts and and uh, apples and a little uh, lemon zest in there and a little sweet wine and sugar, and it represents the clay, the mortar that the the Jews used to to uh, uh, build their, their uh, place. And, and then you had the, uh, you have, uh, well, the, and the, hara the there's the horseradish. horseradish. Yes, and then there's the horseradish, which is the bitter herb for the bitterness of slavery that they ran away from. And uh, so that's, we have that. Now, some people use, uh, I always use a fresh horseradish because you really need that 
if you really want to bring punch. a tear, mm-hmm. you bring a tear. <laughs> and then you something... do have a recipe in the book for making your own prepared yes, horseradish. Yes, it does. I right, think. and I know that you can get fresh horseradish at Jungle Gyms right. for people who might be trying to find that. Is there anywhere else we should well, recommend? You get it, you can, well, it comes in on the Passover stuff at the, at the Kroger's. It hate. does. If, if okay, you order, good to know. Sometimes you have to order them ahead of time and ask them to put that aside. And lamb bone also. If I have you really seen want them to at, use the lamb bone. Okay. I yeah. have seen them at uh, Remke and at the Hyde Park Kroger as well. Right. And perhaps yeah, they'll the have them separately right. for okay. you to pick up. But if you really want to make sure you don't have to use it, if you don't want to use the chicken wing, then you make sure you call ahead of time and tell the butcher, please to get the put lamb shank away bone. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Otherwise, can I ask you a quick question, sure. though? I notice in your book you differentiate between the Ashkenazi and, and the Sephardic, Sephardic traditions. Okay. Can you give us the quick yes, I can. explanation I can. there? The, the Ashkenazi Jews, the one who came from uh, the Middle East, uh, not the Middle East, pardon, that's Sephardic, from, from uh, Germany and, and Europe, those, Central from those Europe. countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Central Europe. The Sephardic Jew is the one who was sent to Spain and Greece and those areas. And they, they do things just a little bit differently than we do. Because, like, for instance, we have our haroses made with apples and nuts and so on, and they make their haroses with pitted dates and raisins and dark raisins and yellow raisins. But they still use, and they use orange juice in theirs, mm-hmm. too. So, so utilizing they, ingredients that are right, more indigenous to right, those communities. To, to what the, yes, the, the okay. way they were brought up. And mm-hmm. what was available where they were, were lived, where mm-hmm. they lived. You know, that so that's sense. why the difference between the Sephardic and the Ashkenazi Jew is, uh, and that's a big, that's the two main, main Jewish sects of, of Judaism. Because in Judaism, you know, you have Orthodox, Conservative, uh, Reformed, Humanistic, okay? And I think I'm missing one, but that's okay. <laughs> and you, know, you know, the one thing about living in this country, which to me is important, and was important to my dad, is that... Here you have the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion and the freedom to do all the things. And even if you know the right people, you can be the president of the United States. And that always meant so much for him. He said, this is the best gift you own is this country called America. He said, you never forget that. Wonderful lesson. I've always, and I've always gone along with that. So, you know, so we have the horseradish on there. So you've got the, um, just to... But there are two other things I think on the plate as well. The parsley. We, the parsley mm-hmm. for the for the greens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Renew, uh, symbolizes springtime. Springtime, hope, right? And renewal. And then we have and one more thing. And salt water. Salt water. Yes. For the bitter bitterness for of the life. Tears. Right. Yes, the tears. Yes. More tears. Yes. Um, so just I just wanted to recap. So on the ceremonial seder plate, which right. can either be a designated plate, yours has one yes. with special little sort of divots for right. each. Right. There's divots, and and by the but way, you don't that have to have some that. places. Oh no, you have to have that on the table. You don't have a. No, but you, you don't, don't have to have a special plate. No, you, you don't can use have ramekins yeah, on a tray. You can or, use ramekins on a tray. You okay. can do everything. But if you want to have beautiful piece of art for seder on your table, you buy a gorgeous seder plate, and there's a place for everything that you need. In this, with little little dugout places to put the things, they are very and they're really great. beautiful. And some people collect them, mm-hmm. so it's it's. Can Is there a place it? locally that you would recommend? Well, you can get it. Uh, well, used to get it at the HUC gift shop. The gift shop isn't there anymore. HUC being the Hebrew Hebrew, Hebrew Union Union College. College. I'm sorry, okay. uh, but Adif Israel gift shop, which is a conservative synagogue here in town, they would probably uh, carry those. Uh, your gift shops in the Reformed temples would carry a seder plate, also. So 
You can get them in your temple or in, your, in a synagogue. And you don't have to belong to the temple or that synagogue to go and buy one. It's just like buying, going into any gift shop and buying something that, from the gift shop. Yeah. They just have different hours. So, uh, so there we have the Seder plate. And then you have the meal, which you're going to discuss, right? Okay, the festive meal. The festive meal. About. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> I wondered, are there things from your childhood that you remember as part of the festive meal um, so, uh, that you either like to have at your own Seder yes. or that you remember yes. particularly fondly? I, I think I'm going to tell a little story now, another little story. Uh, one of the things you have on, on the plate is uh, the uh, uh, cup of Elijah. That is the... Cup of Elijah is usually a very decorative plate, has wine in it, and it represents Elijah the prophet, who's going to sometime bring a good life, a well, good life. You know, I'm, I'm across the board. I'm not Gary Gazzola, so I can't give you I that. No, I'm trying to remember what he told us. I think he <laughs> yeah. referred to Elijah as the harbinger of the messianic yes, era. Of the, yes, mm -hmm. I think that's what he said. But anyway, it's a very important thing. And so I'm at my grandmother's house out at the Seder because she had, as long as she was living, she had the main Seder. We all went there. Usually about, I'd say, 20, at least 20 people around that table. And in the middle of the, of the Seder, there's a knock at the door. Now, my grandmother lived on Eden Avenue uh, near the zoo. Now, that neighborhood was in a in process of changing. Uh, changing. And African-American families were moving into the neighborhood. So the doorbell rings, and I go up, and my mother was the biggest door opener. And we just were getting ready to open the door for Elijah the prophet, right? And uh, my mother opens the door, and here's this tall, very nice-looking African-American gentleman standing there. And my grandmother says, oh, sir, please come in, please come in. And he was lost. He was looking for a new neighbor that had moved in the neighborhood. To make a long story short, my grandmother says to him, you know, we're in the middle of our Passover Seder, and would you be kind enough to take a sip from this cup, please, <laughs> on our table? And then kind of, and my, my grandmother was a little old lady by then, you know, and, you know, and he was a gentleman. And he said, well, yes, it would be my pleasure. She says, you would be doing me a great honor if you did that. And so she, he took the sip, and she thanked him very much and told him where the neighbor lives and so on. Goes out the door, and with that, my I sleep, close the door, right? My mother closes the door, and with that, my grandmother says, well, you never know what form Elijah's going to come in. I just had to be safe. <laughs> Wise words, I Definitely. Think. <laughs> um, but that's a true story. Speaking of, speaking of that kind of openness, right. um, I wanted to just touch on something else we learned about from Dr. Zola yesterday, which is the appearance of an orange on the Seder plate, which is not necessarily traditional, Never. but is something that was kind of started Recent. in this recently in the 70s. Right. And I think he said the woman's name was Susanna Miriam. Miriam's, that's Miriam's cup. But no, there was a woman. Who no, Susanna yeah. Herschel, I yes. think, was the one. Heschel. Right, kind of Heschel. Heschel. Yes. Who, yes, Re thank you. Arriva's daughter. Who, yes, who's <laughs> yes. credited with um, sort of appropriating the orange as a symbol of inclusivity and remembering um, everyone. People, everyone. Whether you were whether you were homosexual or not. Yes. You belonged at there. Everybody, yes, everybody, everybody belongs. belongs. So yes. that's kind of, mm -hmm. I, I just like that symbol. So um, yes. if you've never seen an orange on a Seder plate before, keep on the lookout. You might. And the other thing was Miriam's cup. Yes, Miriam's cup. Right. Tell us about Miriam's cup. Well, <clears throat> Miriam, you know the story of Miriam. I mean, if you don't know the story of Miriam, that's a biblical story. <clears throat> Miriam at the well, 
So that's, you know, you always have her cup and it's filled with water. And it's reminiscent because wherever she went, she wanted to bring her people together. And she always went with dancing and joy. And she went wherever she went, she brought that with her. And, you know, and, and so in honor of her and the joy and the history that she brought to that time of the, of the, uh, of the year, uh, we have Miriam's cup now. As well as as uh, the other t- cups, so we have the two Elijah cups. Cup. Yes, mm-hmm. the Elijah and cup. another nod to inclusivity. You know, making sure that women right. very much are so. as an important part yes. of it as men. Yes. Um, so, getting back to uh, your satyrs growing up, and right. were there? I'm sure there are recipes in the book that come from your childhood, your upbringing, your own cooking life that have been. I wonder if there. Yes, I have my grandmother's chicken soup recipe in here. I'm grandmother Jacob's chicken soup. I think recipe. Cincinnati Magazine and Alyssa <laughs> in particular has a history with that recipe. Yeah, I think you do. Yes, we had our matzo ball making adventure, um, <laughs> which was so much fun and so educational. So yeah, that was yeah. in the 2016. Which issue was that? Was that, that November? Was, I think it was the April, April? 2016 issue. Was yeah, 2016? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You know, thing, you know, the, sec- the secret. Because, you know, they're made with egg whites. You have to have egg whites to do that with, you know, to make your matzo balls. That, and then you f- they Is that form. what gets them the sort of the, the, the light yeah, the texture? Yeah, light, the lightness. You want them to be light. The, yes, but, but the secret to egg white beating is the fact that if you beat them too long and they really get stiff, too stiff, you're going to fall. The cake will fall or whatever you use in them okay. will fall. So you have to know when to stop. Beating the egg whites. Soft peaks? And I've learned, no. No. Not soft peaks. (laughs) Softer than soft peaks. You have to watch them as you're beating them. And when you, and you stop every now and then, not, not, not for a long time, you know, about every 10 minutes, stop, look, pull up your beater. When it makes a tiny little curl and it's bent, the top of the little point is just beginning to bend over, stop. (laughs) Got it. You know, it took me many years to learn that. And lots of ra- matzo balls went down the drain. I got news <laughs> oh, for you. No. <laughs> oh. um, what What else do you uh, What else do you remember from? I mean, I know you you had to take a bite of the egg every time. Are there yeah. other things <laughs> that you remember from your seder's growing up? It doesn't even have to be in the book necessarily. Well, something that you I I know I have to tell you that it was it was a time. <clears throat> because we lived in Kentucky. We did not live in Cincinnati. I was, I was brought up in coming in Kentucky. And so it was, it was bringing the whole family together. And that was, was so special. All the cousins, you know, I have, my mother came from a family of seven children, eight children. So, you know, in those days, and they, most of them lived in Cincinnati. So we had a large group at the table and all ages, which was really wonderful. But they always used to get angry with me because I used to go on the weekends so I could meet Jewish children because there were not many Jewish children coming in Kentucky or in Kentucky. And my mother would take me over. I would go to McGrath's and spend the weekend, right? So I, I, uh, uh, I, I had to, uh, in order to meet Jewish children, so I used to go over to my grandmother's a lot. And uh, so that's that's why that this seder was so important because it brought all the family together. So those memories of community and community, family. Yeah, together it was really wonderful, our... and it was a learning learning session. And my my one cousin used to get angry because because I went to my grandmother so much. I was the one who was always designated after 
we had the Seder. And so, she always had a big bowl of fruit, fresh fruit and things she'd bring in the living You know, you shouldn't, God forbid you shouldn't have enough at the Seder to eat, right? Right. And, but there would always be a big bowl with fresh fruit that we brought up, the special blue bowl, which I got, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> and passed on to someone else mm -hmm. in, my, in our family. And uh, there was this bowl. And I would always be the one who was designated to go get the bowl with the fruit. And my other cousins would get very upset with me, of course. But that's all right. Um, can we go back to stocking the pantry for a second? Because I feel like maybe we didn't, when you go shopping. Stock, yes. Yeah, when okay. you were getting ready to, right. you know, you have your. Prepare your you kitchen your, for the Seder. Yes. Right, for the, yes. you know, for what yes. you're going to need. Yes. What kind well, of things are you, are you buying? Basically, are you, you need lots of on? eggs. Okay. Lots of eggs. You will use lots of eggs doing Is that. Is that usually size large eggs? I know uh, no, that sounds... No, just large. Just large. Yeah, no, okay. Not medium and not super large. large because Perfect. the size of the yolk and the mm -hmm. size of the white in that egg makes a big difference for the finished product. Okay. Really? Is it just more uh, liquid or...? It's, it, it's, it's the balance between okay. the egg yolk and the, the, the size of the egg yolk and the, si and the amount of the white Egg white. That's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The yeah. ratio of the yeah. white. Yeah, very and they important. All, recipes always seem to call for a large mm -hmm. egg. Yes. Uh, that's interesting. Yes. It's a very important thing. And is that, do you need so many eggs? I mean, you're, are you roasting all of these eggs? Or are they no, all no, okay. no, no, <laughs> no. You only have a roasted egg at the Seder. That's enough already. Okay. <laughs> We're talking recipes now, right? Yeah, recipes. Okay. Yeah, you're going you're to be using lots of, lots of eggs okay. because, you know, that helps you pull things together. And corn, and the other thing that is very important to hold things together is pot potato starch. Yes. That's for baking. You've got to have, you know, in order to make the good sponge cake and so on and so forth. In fact, I just made a sponge cake yesterday. I had all these eggs in my refrigerator. I, I, I just know bought what to some do potato with starch recently after the last time I talked to you, and so <laughs> I'll need to put that. And that's because cornstarch is not allowed in the Passover kitchen. Right. Because it's right. A, right. A so you have to use potato product. starch, not cornstarch. Right. But still has the same. Uh, yes. Very. I was surprised. It has very much the same consistency. But of but corn it gives starch. you a different flavor. You don't have a t taste of that vegetable of corn. I'm gonna have to. I haven't even like. Oh tasted sure, it, it gives like you a, a completely bowl. different taste. Just flavor. out of curiosity, can you use that to thicken like beef stew or something? Yes, I use starch? it all the time. Oh, I do not. I do not use flour for thickening. I use potato starch. Potato starch. Hmm. I use only potato starch to thicken. I'm being very serious. Think Unless so. a specific recipe calls for flour, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you have to make it with the flour. But I use I use actually <coughs> have potato starch all year long in my in my, in my in okay. My, so you don't have to just use it for, for no, Passover. No, not just for Passover. Anytime. You can use it all year long. Okay, eggs and potato starch. So yeah, and yeah, of course you have to have masa, mm -hmm. and of course let's go with that. Come on, there's a whole wheat masa. There's this masa, that masa. Plain masa is fine. That's all you <laughs> really need. You don't need the other. But, you know, fried matzah is fabulous. Fried matzah. And you know what? I've I do never not, heard of that. I do not have a recipe in this book for fried matzah. How do you and fry the reason why I, the reason why is because it was such a common thing, I didn't have to worry about how to make it. I mean, it was always there. It was part of Passover. You know, it was breakfast for me. And so it wasn't something special. It was like an everyday food, like oatmeal. Right. Okay. You know, when you have oatmeal. So, so I didn't put it in any of my books. But it's very easy to do make fried masa. What you do is you break up the masa, okay? And then you put it, uh, put the masa in a little cold water, a little bit of water. Not a lot. You don't need a lot of water now. Just a little bit. So it, it soaks up. And then you have to squeeze out the masa so it's good and, you know, doesn't have any water. Okay. Then you put butter in the plate, right? 
or I put butter in the plate. It's Passover, and I put butter in the plate. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put the matzah in there, and you fry it, get it fried real good. And if you want onions, you know, you want onions in your fried matzah, you, you saute the onions first, of course, if you want to make put onions in the fried masa. But if, you know, you know, you can, some people put peppers in, you know, there's different things you can oh, put in Oh, that's so there. interesting. Yeah, so you fry the masa, get it a little, little brown, and if you're going to use onions and things, of course you saute those things first, then put in the masa and the eggs, and then you just stand there with a good thing and keep turning it, oh, and it all like gets brown and crispy. Or something like that. Right, it gets all crispy, but you don't need too many eggs because you don't want it to be mushy, you want it to be fried and, and, and crinkly. So would you say like one matzo cracker and one egg or two? Oh, no, no. That would be, I think, one, you'd have two, you could do two two matzahs two with, with one egg. Okay. Oh, be two matzahs with one yeah, egg. Two, two okay. matzahs with one egg would be plenty. Oh, yeah. that sounds Because good. you're going to put a little, you have, after all, you're soaking that masa in, in liquid to begin right, with. breaking it down. And you can soak it in milk if you want to, if you don't want to use water. And to give it more flavor. Okay. Or wine. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but you can't yeah, do that. Really, uh, that sounds interesting. I was envisioning, like, fried, like... Uh, no, not an omelet. You don't okay. get an omelet. You want the matzah. Mm -hmm. You don't want eggs. You want fried matzah. Right. <laughs> and then what the eggs kind of holds it all together? It just holds it together. Got it. Yeah, okay. Holds, you know, and, the wet, and the wetness holds it. Okay. That's why I say you can make it with wine, you can make mm -hmm. it with milk, or you can make it. There's really a million uses for matzah, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. There? Oh, yeah. The, there are. Yeah. And, you know, Zell, in the book, you give you give a variety of of different categories. You know, different appetizers that you can have throughout the week. Right. Different vegetables and side dishes, and you also have also some some festive meal menus. So a really big, extensive menu for the actual celebration. Right. Where you would for the be whole week. There are enough inviting recipes people in there to keep over. you happy for the. The whole week, because there are five complete seders in here. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. right. Just the you talk about out. that. And, and the so, different traditions, the Sephardic, the Ashkenazi, yes, of how to go with it, and what to do, and what to, you know, what not to do. So we even, you know, we even have a, veg a vegetarian seder in here. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it, it covers everybody. It's, Let's it's, switch gears a little bit. Okay? Let's say you're invited to a seder, right? And you've never been to a seder, right? What should you expect? Well, you can have Passover chocolates that come from New York. Oh, you mean to bring? You should to bring, bring some? Uh -huh. Yeah, always a hostess gift. Always a good idea, yes. <laughs> yes, a host, uh, makes a nice hostess mm -hmm. gift. Uh, sometimes you can uh, uh, send uh, some... Oh, at Passover time, there's some wonderful candies that come out, not just chocolates. Mm -hmm. There's other kinds of candies that come out mm -hmm. that you can bring. Okay. As a hostess gift, okay. Can I uh, bring my Can I bring my son? Is it okay to bring of children? Of course, if, but you have to ask the hostess. If okay. Do. Of course, children are a very important part of the seder. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, you have you have to have something. The other next generation has to be there, or how they're going to learn and understand and enjoy. Okay. And I said enjoy, not <laughs> learn. <laughs> it's a very no, it's, it's a very important concept. So, Zell, you mentioned that there is a women's Seder coming right, up. Right, And then I know there's also the American Jewish Committee. It's having a community Seder on the 14th of April at about 11.45 p.m. Right. I have heard there's a small fee and pre-registration is required. Yes, and it's always a very interesting Seder. Mm -hmm. It really is because you have people coming from the whole entire community. So and all they, walks of life. All walks of life, yes. And it's, it's just a, a really nice thing to, to participate in and show... The other thing is, is that you're sharing your own interest in being Jewish with others. And to share our holiday and to share our religion, to share how we feel, especially for special things like this, is a gift we give each other. That's wonderful. 
I wanted to go back to the cookbook for a second, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, um, sure. Because I'm looking at the recipe for gefilte fish, and you said it was a challenge that you couldn't resist. And I remember as a kid um, uh, a picture book called A Perfect Day for Gefilte Fish, which is all about this little girl who, like, drags home this carp and puts it in the bathtub <laughs> where they're keeping it until... Does anyone else read this book? I, I don't think so, but um, no. But I can tell you, I have found carp in my grandmother's bathtubs. You are. <laughs> floating. Really? Yes, I am. Because they have to still be alive, child. right? Is that live. Oh, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that's... I did, so that's you oh, know, yeah. as a child reading... I didn't... I am not no. Jewish, so... Um, anyway, is, is gefilte fish like a traditional part of the festive meal at Passover? For, for some... For some Jews, it is, yes. <clears throat> and if you've ever tried to make it, and I have made it from scratch. I get the feeling from your, from your description that it's not that easy. No, it is not easy. It's time-consuming. It's not hard to make. Once you get all the ingredients which you need to use to make it, that's, that's the hard part. You have to have the fish ground, you know. You don't ground. Well, I shouldn't say that. My mother had a thing, and she ground the fish herself. Okay. Mm. You know, so. Mm -hmm. and, like and there's a lot of people that probably do that. Are very, very, they have to be very religious in order to do that, I would think. But today, you know, you got so much things that are convenient for you today. You don't have to make it. You go and you buy it. But mm -hmm. some's with sugar, some's white fish, some's white and other fish. <laughs> so, you know, you got so much variety. And whoever said variety is a spice alive, I think I don't think they're dealing with too many spices. I got news for you. <laughs> because at my stage and age, when I have to go shopping to get things for the holiday, it's really a challenge. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. there's too much. There's a lot, yeah. Yeah, less is more. When are people going to learn that? Less is more. I don't know. <laughs> Very good advice. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's really a pleasure that I... I really want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to do this because this particular holiday has meant a great deal to me and has brought many learning lessons and many joys and many sadnesses because, you know, uh, people in your family die. They get older, and they're not there at the Seder table anymore. And you remember different things about them than what they did when they were there. So I also think that holidays, whether they're Jewish or non-Jewish, but if they're special holidays, I think are there not to just celebrate, but to be remember. To remember. I think I can speak for both Alyssa and I that we both always enjoy getting together with you and <laughs> talking about cooking, but also hearing your stories. Well, you know, you you have the best stories, though. <laughs> Well, I've had a very fascinating life. You know, I was the only Jewish child of a 600 at Dixie Heights High School. And my father, all the other Jews, we, we had about 100 Jewish families in Covington, Kentucky. And so we were like one big family. And uh, so everybody knew what everybody else was doing. Well, the other children's parents paid tuition for their children to go to Walnut Hills because they wanted to get a good education. My father said, this is America. We have freedom of speech. I told you that story already. And you're going to go to Dixie Heights High School, and you're going to be the teacher. Well, I was the teacher, but it was a very, very hard time for me. Because they and by teacher, you mean you were going to teach the other kids about Judaism? About Judaism, mm -hmm. yes. I had to teach them what a Jewish person was. They all thought we had horns. I mean, a lot of people thought we had horns. And I, I was there to say, look, I'm a person just like you are. And I have holidays, and I have good days and bad days, and I, I react to things the same way you do. Just because my religion 
is I pray a certain way and may be different from you doesn't make me different as a person. And that was the lesson that I really brought to that school. It really, and it was a hard lesson for me, very hard, because it was during the Second World War. And uh, I was called Dirty Jew. I had my masa sandwiches. Speaking of masa, I would take my masa sandwiches to school for Passover. And the kids would take my lunch, and they'd take my bag out and step on my master's sandwiches. And I didn't have a lot to eat sometimes. And my father finally had to go to the school and sit down and talk to the principal. But, you know, it was part, it's part of growing up. And what did it teach me? It taught me that... You can always teach something, and you can always learn something new from the way you live your life. Because the life is the gift. Money does not make your life. It puts food on the table. It puts clothes on your back and a roof over your head. But the people you meet along the way are who make your life. Quote my father, Harry Scharf. Thanks so much, Sal. We really appreciate that. I think it's a good way to end. Thank you for joining us today on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, please tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile Lib. That's Mercantile L-I-B. My name is Joanne Drilling. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Zell Schulman and Alyssa Brandt. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantillibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week.